if you're working with somebody who doesn't really know all the ways to uh, benefit from the laws that are in place to help further your business and your cash flow, to help further reinvest in the economy, if they don't know how to do that, you can be as disciplined as you want. You can have a long-term plan and be disciplined and go absolutely nowhere. You need to have that expertise in the middle and that advisement. And what happens, Rich, is a lot of people look at those advisors as, a, as an expense. How much does that cost? Right? How, how much is it going to cost for me to have this advisor? Oh, they're expensive. I'm going to, this person does my taxes for $500. I'm going to go do this over here. What they don't understand is if you find the right advisor in this realm, it's an absolute investment and you should expect a return on investment. This is the Entrepreneurs United Podcast with your hosts, John St. Pierre and Rich Hoffman. Vince, welcome to the Entrepreneurs United Podcast. Thank you, John. Rich, appreciate it. Really honored, humbled guys to be here. Appreciate that you guys bringing me on. Absolutely. You're a partner of HBK CPA Consultants. You and I have been working together for almost a decade now through my entrepreneurial journey and couldn't be more excited to bring you on this podcast and really ask some juicy questions right off the bat. You've been working with a lot of entrepreneurs all over America, at different levels of their business growth. Let me hit you right quick with the fastball down the middle. What's the craziest story you have ever seen of an entrepreneur that you've worked with that an entrepreneur listening needs to hear right now? I guess back in my earlier days when I was starting out, clients that would basically bring you a bag of information. Yeah. And when we had to recreate and put things together, those days are well behind us, but that happened to us. And I'm happy to say now that the clientele that we work with is much different. But back in those days, in order to, to pay the bills and, and stay in business, you had clients like that. And, and they thought that was commonplace. That was not something that was uh, surprising. A lot of other issues come from that, obviously, supporting that in the case of an IRS challenge or a state challenge or other things. But yeah, there are probably some of the crazier things I dealt with early on in my career, for sure. Vince, what was something you spoke about earlier on in your career? What was something you were maybe really confident about, about entrepreneurs earlier on in your career that you came to learn that you changed your mind on? You were either wrong or you really had to adjust your perspective on something. Rich, I think when I started out, I had thought that the entrepreneur knew what they were doing, knew their business. and that's not uncommon. And it, it, it's come to me as I've developed that they really don't. They really need our guidance as it relates to not just helping them chart the course for their business, but all the other outside influences, whether that's tax, whether that's, you know, financial planning, whether that's IRS representation and, and banking relationships. I've come to learn that they don't know that. And it's for us, Rich, pointing them in that direction, helping them with that, guiding them and actually almost educating them as we go along in the journey. So Vince, when you say that, educating them along the journey, what is the number one thing? Only one. If you had to only tell an entrepreneur listening, it's just one thing they need to learn. And you think most entrepreneurs haven't learned, but need to learn. What would that one thing be? Uh, I think what they need to do is they need to chart their course. I use this saying all the time. You get in business, you grow your business, and you get out of business. There's a lot of things that go along 
that route. That there are three things I said there, but I think first and foremost is putting together that plan, that outline. And and John, it doesn't need to be something in a uh, hundred-page manuscript. It's yeah. What are your wants, your wishes? What are your short-term, long-term? I think it's key that people need to think long-term. Entrepreneurs need to think long-term because instant successes can be great, but a lot of times instant successes come along and you fall into a rut. Most of the time, my successful clients are self-disciplined, committed, have a plan. When they get hit, I'll use the term punch in the face or, or hit a, a, a pitfall, they can rebound. They can come together because they have a plan and they know those things are going to happen. And in my mm-hmm. opinion there, guys, that's the learning experiences, those failures those obstacles along the way and how you overcome them are critical in the success of a business. Yeah. So let me paraphrase what I think I heard there, which is the number one thing that entrepreneurs need to learn if they are not doing is not just planning, it's long-term planning. It's really thinking. And and if you don't have a long-term plan, what I'm getting from this is if you don't have a long-term plan, when the pitfall happens or the cliff happens or the COVID crisis happens or the cash crisis happens or whatever happens, you're in big trouble because you don't have this long-term view mentality. But if you have a long-term view mentality, you're, you're able to overcome those obstacles along the way a lot easier. Is that a fair recap? That's correct, correct John, because okay. I think having that course helps you get through those pitfalls and, and having those mistakes, those pitfalls make you stronger. Okay. So you said it doesn't have to be a hundred page business plan manual, all complex stuff. So what, does it need to be then? What does that mean? Like the word, oh, you got to have a long-term plan. If I'm listening, okay, sounds good. Now what? What is a, what is a long, what are the components of a long-term plan that would check the box? Okay. Yeah. You're doing this. I think depending on what business you're in, it's, Hey, here's my first year. I want to get to, I don't know, a million dollars in revenue. I want to secure X amount of new accounts. And then as I move along, I want to hire some more people my three-year plan. It's bringing us to the next level. It's gravitating to a different type of customer base, clientele. It's creating wealth for myself and my family, security for my team, my, my, the people that work for me. It's charting that. And really, to be honest, John, it's their plan. And, and what we like to say we do is we just complement and supplement where we see gaps in it. We work with our clients to help them to bring other other things that they're not thinking to to that plan and help them execute, get to that next level. It's one thing of saying, hey, we want to be a $20 million company. We're not even in a million yet. Although it's very important to have a vision for the long term, we need to make sure that we take it in steps. Because yeah. to me, taking little steps to get to your goal is how it's going to be achieved. We can't get there. It's not instant coffee. It's not an immediate gratification. So to me, it's working with them as to what their plan is. And then, as I say, complement and supplement. Vince, not long ago, you said something about IRS representation, and then you said banking relationships. Uh, When you said IRS representation, and then we're, as I stitch this together with this idea of have a plan, and you mentioned self-discipline, I want to frame those together in a question that I think every business and every individual is maybe concerned about if they ever had an IRS audit. 
that there may be something to find, not that everybody's doing anything that is illegal. However, you're on pins and needles if you ever have an IRS audit. You represent a lot of people in those audits. What does proper long-term planning and self-discipline look like in preparation for someday I may get an audit? Rich, I think that one of the things that we like to do when we're planning, let's just talk on an uh, annual basis when we're doing some tax planning and also working with our clients on some of their long-term goals. Um, we look at it from a standpoint of how can we help our clients? How do we help them? How do we do better than we did last year? I was like to say, you're only as good as your last name. What did we do last year? How are we going to help our clients better? But we need to do that within the rules. We need to make sure our clients understand that. There's black and white rules. There's gray. And what I like to say in working with our clients, it's developing positions that will stand up if our clients do get audited or examined or questioned, Rich. So, I got to jump in and ask, what are an example of some of those positions? That's exactly what I think people would love to know. I would love to know. When you say develop positions that are going to stand up, how do I do that? How do I plan to develop those positions? What are those? Those positions we would work with our clients. So if our clients have questions as to, hey, I've got these real estate ventures and I know there's limitations, something called passive activity loss limitations. Is there a way we can structure this and... I'm able to take those losses against other non-passive type income. Yes, let's talk about it and let's develop that. There are rules to enable us to do that, Rich, and we'll explore that. Does this make sense? Does this fit the fact pattern in what you're doing? I think it then gets into really us understanding our clients, the entrepreneurs, and really digging in to understand it, to create that position that we, in our opinion, would more likely than not stand up in, a, in an IRS examination. Vince, it, it just a, maybe this is an IRS-related question, but I don't think it is. It's more along the lines of businesses and entrepreneurs that make income, and they really have two choices. They make taxable income, and they can either distribute it out to partners and pay taxes to the government, or there's other things they can do with such earnings that would reduce the tax liability that you owe to the government. Now, some people would look at that and go, oh, you're trying to avoid paying taxes to the government. But nine times out of 10, those vehicles, if I understand them all correctly, provide for further growth or putting money in new ventures or uh, you get accelerated depreciation because you just bought a new business that has some depreciation, but now you're hiring more people or you're starting a new business or you're you know, providing more for your employees and their families. It seems to me like the vehicles that exist out there to move resources in a tax efficient manner are built to grow the economy, not actually hurt the economy. Is that a fair perspective? Yeah, John, no question. Without a doubt there. And I think that some of those strategies, as we've worked on in the past, it's taking dollars, investing in another vehicle, but still being under the same umbrella, or I'm going to say the family umbrella of the organization and the owners of the organization and being able to get deductions for that, but uh, allow that money to stay in the organization and grow. Yeah. And there's something that I think is really important related to that too, which is the compounding effect of reinvesting your capital in tax-efficient manners versus the distribution and the money that has to go to taxes. And now you're trying to make that money somewhere else over here. So when you think about the compounding effect of tax deferral strategies that are reinvested in other areas, 
how important do you think that is if an entrepreneur is listening to this and, and they're making taxable income, but don't have the right advisement around it? What would you recommend they do regarding that and, and, and the confidence you have in some of these tax efficient vehicles? I think, John, if they're not with the right advisor, there's always a way. I always like to say, if there's an obstacle there, how do we get around it, over it, or through it to figure it out? There's always a solution. It may not be the, the greatest solution for that, but there's always a solution. And we've worked in some strategies. When you look at certain retirement vehicles, where most of the time when you're talking about the ownership group can get the majority of that pie. So what are we really doing? We're taking, moving money from the, the business venture as a deductible item, moving it to another pool, which the ownership group can take advantage of, and it's deferred to some other point in time. And again, allowing that to grow really before tax. So it's a strategy that works real well. And I think for most entrepreneurs, that works. In some cases, John, when you're starting out, you want to build that balance sheet, grow that, your equity base to be able to then do some of those things. But I think in most cases, those type, type strategies can work almost off the yeah. bat, depending on um, uh, how the business is doing. Vince, what are two things the average entrepreneur could do in the next 24 hours to put themselves in a better position or set themselves up for success? I think that... that one thing I, I've been seeing that's been tough for entrepreneurs, and I'm going to say more on the smaller side, is entrepreneurs either don't have a, a strong relationship with a lender, th their credit facility isn't something that is th what would they would need in the next 12 months for needs. And I think that is something that they should definitely look at. Some of the other things, too, if we're talking about just for year-end planning and the like, there's some potential benefits out there right now from if they if equipment's needed. Bonus depreciation still in play at 80%. If they need deductions, that could be a, a, an option. And again, having the right credit facility in place in order to do that is critical. Rich, that's pretty open-ended. I think we can go on in that on. But there's some of the things that, that yeah. come to mind. I think you got, I got two things out of that I just want to validate. One is you ended on the equipment depreciation. So one thing that can be done in the next 24 hours is take a look around and inventory the equipment, make sure that equipment is showing up on the tax records and proper depreciation is happening. That can certainly happen in the next 24 hours. Cool. The other thing you said was relationship with a lender. So if someone was going to go act on that advice, Vince, what are they doing in the next 24 hours to develop a relationship with a lender? The thing is, hopefully they have a relationship there, Rich. But if not, it's communicate with their advisor. Their advisors should have outlets for them in order to uh, uh, make those intros to help them along the way. I mentioned earlier retirement plan. That's another thing that we could do before you're in. Today's uh, December 13th. And you could still put something into play before year end in order to uh, help yourself from a, uh, if we have a tax situation, we could put something in play. And, and a lot of times, Rich, you may or may not know, some of that funding is not uh, required to, to occur until sometime next year. That could be March 15th, April 15th, or as late, late as uh, late September 15th. It gives uh, uh, people the ability to 
not only get a deduction today, not pay for it until tomorrow. So it's pretty advantageous. Vince, what would be one, I'm going to call it a secret. Maybe it's not a secret, but what's one thing that if you could call all your entrepreneurs right now and say, hey, here's a little secret about what's going on in 2024 that you should be thinking about because this is happening or that's happening. What is that little tidbit that would be of value to all of the entrepreneurs that you advise? A lot of times, John, when we get with new entrepreneurs, there's quite a few things that we pick up almost immediately. Um, but I'd have to say, when I, when I look at some of the entrepreneurs, they may not be getting the right guidance. And one thing that I see almost immediately is certain entrepreneurs, depending on their situation, and I would say if they have gross receipts of less than $26 million, and they have inventory, they may not be, they may not need to be on the accrual basis of accounting. It's a it's really a substantial savings right off the bat. And converting from accrual to cash, I think a lot of times we see that that mistake, John, in that you're just going along in what you're doing, and either the advisor doesn't know of it or doesn't pick it up. And it could be substantial tax savings immediately today. And what were the conditions, Vince, that you said you laid out like two or three conditions that if this and this, then maybe not accrual? So typically, Rich, if, you're in, if your gross revenue average over the past three years is less than $26 million, you have the ability to convert from the accrual to cash method. But where I was going is, in some cases, in the old rules used to be if there was an inventory then you had to be on the accrual basis. Those rules changed, and that changed with the, the TCJA that went into effect in, in 2017. So it's a very powerful tool. And a lot of our clients that became new clients of ours, we saw that, and it was just immediate impact for them. Vince, I don't know if you recall. I think we were one of them. Yep, yep. And, when and we first moved from the CPAs we were working with to you guys, which again was somewhere around 10 years ago, I think one of the first things you did is you moved us from accrual to cash. And then your question was like, why are you accrual basis? We're like, I don't know. We thought that's what we're supposed to do. And by going cash basis, we were able to implement all these tax efficient strategies to minimize our taxable income, to be able to reinvest more money into the growth of our business that really helped propel our business. I think some of you may listen to this and go, oh, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo financial talk here. But I think the rule of thumb in my mind is if you're less than $26 million a year in receivables and in revenue, look at your tax return. And on the first page of your tax return, it says if you're accrual or cash. And if it says accrual, call Vince. That'd be my no, advice. No question. And John, you know how it is. You just named a couple of things. It's exponential because now it frees us up those whatever. If we had to pay taxes, a C-Corp, or we were going to make tax distributions to partners, shareholders, we're now able to reinvest that money elsewhere than paying it to the IRS. There's so many valuable things that come out of that. I just, and, and, and John, I hate to say it, I don't pat myself, it's not that it's there. It's, it, it's commonplace, it's known, and it's a strategy, but it's, it's a pretty well-known strategy. Not, not everybody uh, picks up on it, and just uh, business as usual, I should say. Yeah. And I think that's part of what I think I see when I speak with entrepreneurs is that um, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who just don't know. I didn't know. Just to be clear, 
there's a, a ton of strategies before our firm started working with you or with others. I had no clue these things even existed. Now I was working with some pretty good accountants. I thought uh, they weren't bad people. They're good people, but they just weren't as well versed in all of these tools that exist out there. And so that's why I think it's really important to, to speak out and let entrepreneurs know, hey, there's some ways here. You just need to learn what they are and you have to have the right advisor who can help you. How exactly, somebody's listening to this episode and they're like, you know what? Okay, a lot of talk here. I don't really know if I need help. But Vince said, usually you can find big wins right off the bat with a new somebody new that they talk with. And, and I, I know that to be true from the people I've introduced you to. And what that means to me is if you're listening to this, what's what's the harm? Make a call, right? Or get in touch with you because if you can get two or three wins by just having a conversation, that can maybe lead to a fruitful relationship. Is that is that the right next step? Reach out to you, go to your website. What would you recommend? Yeah, John, I think that's perfect. I, um, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, website, uh, email. One thing that we do um, that, that I think is very important and, and it's investing in a client. What we'll, what we'll do for our client, prospective clients is we obviously have introductory meetings. We talk about us, we listen and hear about you and, and then we gain an understanding. We ask for information. We review that information. That's usually part of our investment. Hey, we want to look at your past three years returns. We want to look at your past three years financials. We want to look some organizational documents. And we, we and why do we do that? Because we see patterns. We see things, whether anybody knows this or not on, on, on this meeting, there's a three-year statute for a claim for refund. So if we see something that's not right on the return, we have three years. So usually we'll look at three years. It gives us a good history uh, of what's going on. But if there's something wrong, we talk to our prospective clients, or even if they don't become, hey, you know what, there's an issue where you may want to consider um, um, amending the return. But it gives us good information then to come back and then have another consultation meeting and talk about what we found. Suggestions. We'll even give you suggestions. Hey, this is what we think you should do. In some cases, John, you may look at it and say, but your entity structure doesn't make sense. It's not efficient. Maybe we need to look at the way you're structured and create something more efficient. And why I say that is based on your plan. What are your goals? Where are you going to be? Getting in the business, growing the business, getting out. And a lot of times the entity structure may not be conformed to the flexibility in potentially bringing in other partners and selling. Listen, I thought you just all did this stuff only with us because everything you're talking about here, even though it was 10 years ago, we did that. We refiled our tax return when we first moved to you because you found opportunities and it was found money. Uh, had we not gone, gone back to redo those returns, we would have just lost that cash. And you know, that's why I you know, really push entrepreneurs that I work with that, look, you can't work with the CPA mom and pop down the street or H&R Block. Like, you just can't do it. Because you're leaving money on the table. You're over probably paying taxes that you shouldn't be paying. Then you're wondering why you have no cash flow in your business. It doesn't work. And so Vince, what is the website? And, and what is your email? Maybe a couple of things like that. People know where to go. So our website is hbkcpas.com. And my email is vpastorcpa.com. Awesome. And you provide a free initial call, right? People can just reach yeah, out yeah. to you at any time, right? John, is I like to also offer, because I like to say it's not instant coffee. In some instances, there may be multiple meetings with potential clients. Sure. And that's, and I appreciate that. I always say, use this as a resource. If Love your it. sales is doing some work, send it to us. Let us take a look at it. We'll take a look at it for you. Because we want, what's key, John, this relationships are critical to us. Yep. When you have good relationships, 
you get good people, you have a nice network and things blossom and grow real well. So for me, it's really critical to have those relationships and develop them by giving back. We're giving back. So it, that. that's important to us. It, it's our philosophy. Awesome. Thanks for everything you've done for me, for our business, for our partners and everybody. And again, I can't encourage enough entrepreneurs. What's the harm? Reach out. You may have some, some found money that you're just leaving on the table by not executing the proper strategies. So Vince, thank you for your time. Thanks, Vince. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Stay tuned as John and Rich unpack today's conversation. John, it seems like a really simple formula that Vince outlined, but I also feel like there's almost a book for each of these, get in business, grow the business, get out of the business. It's almost yeah. like there's a how-to guide within each of those. And gosh, what's interesting is your book, The $100 Million Journey, which one of those three do you feel, I, I have one in mind, which one of those three do you feel like it serves most, the get in, the grow, or the get out? Huh. I would actually argue there's missing one. Get in business, grow your business, stay in business, and mm. get out. <laughs> and, yeah. and under that premise, I'd say stay in business is what mine's about. But I'd say the grow, how to yes. grow your business properly. But I think it ties, though, Rich, to your point of when you're growing a business for the sake of growing it, but you don't really have a long-term plan of how you're going to get out of it, you're just moving. You're just, you're just growing. Any road will do. Just keep going. You don't really have a, a long-term plan and mission. What I love about what Vince does and I've experienced it firsthand, so I'm extremely biased, but it's, hold on a second. He does this a lot. Before we plan on what the company needs to do, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? Because ultimately, as an entrepreneur, the, the taxation of your business flows down to you, the person, and your balance sheet, your income statement, and the income your spouse may make, or the real estate investment you've made, or other things you've done, right? A lot of entrepreneurs have different revenue sources. It's not just their company. They may have, to the point I just made, other revenue streams coming in. How do you consider all of those in the body to maybe make a decision from a tax perspective for the business? So if you just make a business, I think a lot of entrepreneurs make a tax decision for the business, not really thinking about their own personal situation. So I think really relating these to the person is very important. And one thing that we didn't specifically mention on this, but I talk about in the book that Vince has really helped me out with. I, I think to answer your question, there's a chapter in my book called Principle 5, 6, excuse me, access owner's liquidity, which is how do you access your wealth with that's within this business and move it from your business's balance sheet to your personal balance sheet. And that's really where Vince and these advisors and experts really come in because a lot of entrepreneurs, quite honestly, are burning their cash because they don't know how to tax plan. They don't know how to do long-term planning for themselves. And that's just a shame. As you bring up the term plan, obviously it resonates from the conversation with Vince. The have a plan, then the other PC plopped in there was the self-discipline to follow the plan. Isn't that the truth with almost anything that we want to do in life? Have a plan and then have self-discipline to execute the plan. I love when we have guests on that have these really simple nuggets that are just pervasive across all of life. They're like, man, we got to remember that. Let's get the plan and get the self-discipline to follow it. How do we do that and then get to work? Yeah. What's interesting, as you and I talked about setting big goals, that's one of the things we said, set a goal and be disciplined. Yeah. Is one of the components. And there's certain that for certain disciplines, a major factor. But I think in this realm, I would add something again to this mix. 
it's set a plan and get educated and surround yourselves with those who are really know what's going on in that space and then stay self-disciplined, right? And you would uh, add, share it. Where I feel like there's a repeat conversation. And you would right? add, it's, share it's, it. It's somewhat right? is because it is. especially when you're talking about tax type of stuff, if you're working with somebody who doesn't really know all the ways to uh, benefit from the laws that are in place to help further your business and your cash flow, to help further reinvest in the economy. If they don't know how to do that, you can be as disciplined as you want. You can have a long-term plan and be disciplined and go absolutely nowhere. You need to have that expertise in the middle and that advisement. And what happens, Rich, is a lot of people look at those advisors as, a, as an expense. How much does that cost? Right? How, how much is it going to cost for me to have this advisor? Oh, they're expensive. I'm going to, this person does my taxes for $500. I'm going to go do this over here. What they don't understand is if you find the right advisor in this realm, it's an absolute investment and you should expect a return on investment. And there's immediate value that Vince added, I think, even in just a list of whatever I can do in 24 hours. Yeah. Go build some more relationship with a lender. Take a look around at the equipment around. Are you actually depreciating at all? Then the other one he added in later in the conversation was look at the retirement planning. What are you doing to set yourself up? I think one of the things I see, John, is entrepreneurs constantly want to reinvest in their business and forget about themselves. And they believe, hey, when I sell the business, that's my retirement plan. And there's additional retirement planning that can and should be happening other than reinvest and hope for a big cash out at the end. And that's my plan. There are a lot of people that go broke in retirement that way. Yeah. Rich, again, I don't want to be repetitive to what I just said, but like principle six of the hundred million dollar journey is access owners liquidity. How do you move the liquidity from your business balance sheet to your personal balance sheet in a tax efficient manner that benefits you, benefits the company, benefits the employees and helps the company continue to prosper, but still plans for you. You don't build a company for 15 years like I did and get nothing for it because you had it all on red. Let's go. You need to plan for yourself. It's a very well said company. You need to know how to do that. But a lot of people don't know how to do that. They just feel like keep pushing the chips out on the table and you just keep putting it on red. Black's going to show up at some point, right? How are you farming some of that? How are you bring, reaping some of that? Bringing it in to you and your family in efficient manners. And I think that's really the key of the success and the key to Vince and what he brings to entrepreneurs.